Romans chapter number 6. Romans chapter number 6. I've been studying this particular passage all week, reading it, and it's been a blessing to me each day as I open up this particular passage. And we may be on Romans chapter 6 for a few weeks. Uh, What stirred me to this passage is um, the word yield. Um, yielding ourselves, there in verse 13, um, he says, Neither yield ye your members, this is not our text today, but I just, I'm just telling you what got me on this chapter. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. And this this idea of yielding to Him, being the servants of God, trusting Him with our lives, knowing that what He has in store for us, Brother Jonathan is teaching this morning, read in our our, uh, devotion, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, there Paul is speaking similarly there in that passage that we are to give our bodies a living sacrifice under our Lord. We are to trust God, not only for salvation, but we are to trust Him with our lives. Knowing, and Paul even makes that point there in verse number 2 of chapter 12, knowing that when we give ourselves to Him, when we devote ourselves to Him, when we are trusting Him, Lord, I'm, I'm yielding my life to You. And what He will do, Paul tells us there in verse number 2 of chapter 12, He's going to prove that His way is best for us. He will prove that to us. His way, His life that He has for us is best. And that's that's that yielding to Him that He's talking about here in chapter number 6. Yielding our lives to Him. Yielding our, our bodies to our Lord to serve Him. To do what He's commanded us to do. To follow after Him. To be servant to Him as Paul will go on in the latter part of this chapter describing us as the servants of God. Trusting Him. Trusting Him that His will for us is what is best for us. Trusting Him that the life that He has given us, the, 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 the circumstances, as we, we, like to, we try to put it that way, we know God's sovereign and He works all of it, but the things He has put in our life to work out, to bring us to the place where He happens to be, we're trusting Him. In that, trusting Him that His way that He has for us is best. Every single time. His way is best. So today we're going to begin here in chapter 6. I want you to look with me, verse 1 and verse 2. That will be our text today as we come forward to this yielding to Him. And we've been studying on Wednesday night and Sunday afternoon here lately about grace. And this is what Paul's pointing us to here. The grace that we have in God in these first two verses. And he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? 
God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer before we continue on today. Our Father in heaven, we thank you again for this day. We thank you, Father, for your grace. We thank you, Father, for your goodness to us. That your your blessings that are poured out upon us. Father, we thank you so much for this day that you've given. We're thankful for each soul that was able to come this way today. That we pray, Father, that our hearts and our minds would be turned towards you. That you would help us this day, Father, to worship you in spirit and in truth. As we've met together, thankful for the songs that have been sang, the prayers that have been lifted up, the Sunday school lessons that have gone forward, Father. We just pray that you help us now as we look to your words. We open it to study these things, that you would open it before us and give us understanding of these things. Father, that you would implore upon our hearts the the importance of your word for our lives, the encouragement that we receive from it, the comfort that we receive from it, the guidance and the direction that we receive from it. Father, we pray that You would make us a people that are yielding to You, yielding to Your Word, yielding our lives to Your direction, yielding ourselves, Father, to follow after You as You would have us to, that we might glorify You in our lives, that Your name would be upon our lips in everything that we do. Father, that we would be a people that is honoring to Your name each and every day. Go with us now as we look to Your Word. Forgive us of our sins and our failures, Father, the times that we have failed You even this day. And help us, Father, to worship You this day as we've met together. Open Your Word before us now. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now... Paul says, what shall we say then? So that tells us, this goes back up to chapter 5 and what Paul is in reference to there. If you look with me in verse 20 and verse number 21, he says, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And we, we were studying that a little bit Wednesday and last Sunday afternoon as we were talking about this this whole deal about the grace that we have in Christ Jesus, that His His grace is greater than all our sin, as we sing that song. He, he where sin abounded, he says, grace did much more abound. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. It's greater. His grace for us is greater than our affairs. It's greater than our transgressions. It's greater than our sins before Him. And so this is what Paul is in reference to here when he gets down to chapter 6. He says again, Moreover, the law entered that sin, that the offense rather might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He said where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. 
So there are those with the mindset, having heard what Paul said there in verse number 20, that that's the natural question that the, the natural mind would ask. Well, if, if, if grace abounds where sin is present, then maybe we just need to sin more so we can get more grace. Paul says, is that what we are to do? Is that how we are to live our life? What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, Paul says. God forbid. How shall we, he says, that are dead to sin, live any longer therein? How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? There are those that have the mindset today that somehow based upon what Paul said there in verse number 20, and Paul makes it clear here in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 6, that's not what he meant at all. But there are those that believe, there are those that take from this that somehow grace encourages sin. Grace somehow encourages sin. And one who would believe, one who lives as if grace encourages sin, very plainly does not know grace. They do not know God's grace. And so Paul here is speaking to the legalist. He's speaking speaking to the the, the one who is saying, okay, I, I have to keep the law, I have to do the law, I have to work these things in order for me to be saved, in order for me to stay saved. The legalist says man is going to sin horribly and so because man is going to sin horribly we have to rein him in. We have to bind him up. We have to give him a list. Do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this, and don't do this. That's the legalist reaction. To what Paul is talking about here. The one who is the licentious, the antinomian, the one who is against the law, he says exactly what Paul is asking the question here. Well, if I get more grace with my sin, then I'll just sin more. And they perceive it then as a license for them to sin. Because God's grace is there. And the reality is, as I've already said, when they respond in this way, they have not heard. And their thinking then says, let's continue being sick so we can be healthy. Paul says, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Now, being dead to sin 
does not mean we don't struggle with sin. That's not, that's not the case. We realize that is the reality for us. In fact, over here in chapter 7, Paul speaks to that reality of what, how we struggle against sin in this flesh. He says in verse 14 of Romans 7, he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, he says, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. And Paul goes on in verse 15 on down through the end of the chapter there. Paul is talking about that struggle against the sin that is in him. And as we've talked about over and over again, being a child of God does not eradicate the old nature. The old nature is still there. The old sinful nature is still a very, very much a part of us. But in the new birth, in what is given to us in that new nature, God in His grace, in salvation, puts in us a new nature. Paul calls it a new man that's put in us, and that, that portion of us in our spirits is sealed by the Spirit of God, and sin does not enter into it. But the problem is we're still left with the old nature. It's still there. It does not eradicate it at the new birth. We're still, as long as we are in these bodies, as long as we are in this flesh, we still have that old nature present with us. And so now, where once we just went along with what the old nature wanted to do, we went along with what the, what the old man wanted to, to, to serve himself in this world, now because of the new man in us, now there becomes a warfare in us. And we find ourselves struggling against ourselves. Now, there's struggles outside of us. We see those things that are going on in our world. We see those things that are happening on the news. We, we see the, the, the wickedness that is around us that pervades in our community, in our nation, in our world. And we see those things and it troubles us. We have trouble, the Bible says, on every side. But our biggest trouble that we face is me. That's, that's, that, that's the one that is our present fight every single day is the new man against the old man. And so there's a constant battle that goes on in us against sin in us. And so Paul, when Paul says that we are dead to sin... There in chapter number 6, he's not saying that we don't struggle with sin. We do. It's still there. But we're no longer bound, you see. We're no longer bound by that sin. Now, this reality that he talks about here in verse number uh, in chapter 7, rather, verse 14 and 15, this reality that he's talking about, about sin being there, and us struggling against that sin, Paul's not offering us an excuse. 
That's not what He's doing at all. In fact, He's calling us just to the opposite as we read there in chapter 6. He he finishes out the chapter here calling us to the opposite there. That we would live lives of service. That we would devote ourselves to God. That we would give ourselves to Him. That we would serve Him instead of this flesh. So He's not giving us an excuse. He's just simply giving us an explanation. This is the reality for us. We're struggling against sin. And sin in us. That's what we're struggling against. But listen, that's something we praise God about. That's something we praise Him for. Because there is a struggle in you, is assurance to you, that you are a child of God. Because without Christ, without that new man, you wouldn't be struggling with that sin. You'd just be going on with it. You'd just be following along with it. You'd be satisfied in it. But it is because of the new man in us, it is because of Christ in us, that now it becomes something that is a problem for us. Now it is a warfare. Now it's something in us that we hate. And we don't want in us. And so we struggle against it, you see. We as the children of God, if we are not careful, we can very easily become self-righteous in ourselves. And what I mean by that is we can, we can look at Christ and know that we have Him and know that He is in us. And we can get so built up in ourselves because of who we are in Christ that we can get to the point where we just say, well, you know what? It's sad to see other people in that sin, but they're, you're just never going to find me in that. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to fail. And we get built up in pride of ourselves and our own strength and our own ability. And and what we need to be mindful of, Paul is telling us here in chapter number 7, is if you're not struggling against the sin that is in you, if you don't see that struggle in you every day, beware. First of all, examine yourselves whether or not you be in the faith. But secondly, make sure that you recognize the depth of sin in you. Because this... Sin, this struggle against sin is a reality for us. Again, not an excuse, but an explanation. This is the reason this warfare is going on in me. Now there are three responses. That's what I want to talk to you about today. There are three responses to grace. There's the legal response of reining it in that we've already talked a little bit about. There is the the licentious response or the antinomian response. Well, I'll just sin all I want to then and grace will abound more. And the third one is liberty. Liberty. 
That's what Christ Jesus came to give us. Liberty. Now he says here in verse 2 of chapter 6, How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? What does that mean to be dead to sin? Well, he says in verse 11, look there, chapter 3, or chapter 6 rather, verse 11, he says again, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. Reckon yourselves, he says. And that's what he's talking about in verse number 2. We're dead to sin. So reckon yourselves dead to sin. Recognize that I am no longer bound by sin. That it doesn't, it's no longer the, the rule of my life. But I am, I am reckoning myself before God. I, I recognize in me that I am in Christ Jesus. I belong to Him. And so I, I am to reckon myself dead to sin. He says, likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead to sin. That, that comes by that imputation that we have in Christ Jesus that He has, he has taken upon Himself our sin and removed it from us. The remarkable thing about His sin payment for us is that I still fail Him. I still sin. Every single day, I still sin. I still come short. Every day. And He paid for me 2,000 years ago. There on the cross, He took my sin before I was ever born. Before my parents, before my grandpa, before my great grandpa, uh, 2,000 years ago, He paid for my sin before I had ever committed a single one. He already paid for it. And so, when He saved me, when, when it was made known to me, the salvation that I have in Christ Jesus, and what He did for me on the cross of Calvary, it, my sin was paid for from my past. The sin nature itself was paid for in me. My present sin was paid for at that time. And He's already took care of all my future sin as well. Even that which I will do tomorrow, He's already paid for it. It has all been imputed to Him. He took it all on Himself, in my place. He became my substitute. In the Old Testament sacrifice, whenever one was brought, the sacrifice was brought there to the priest to the door of the tabernacle, and they, or to the courtyard of the tabernacle there, and they were going to prepare that sacrifice to be killed. The one who brought the sacrifice would lay their hands upon the sacrifice that was brought there, showing that they were then passing their sin onto that particular animal. And while they had their hands upon that animal, showing that they had, their sin was being transmitted to that animal or transferred to that, they would slit the animal's throat to spill its blood. 
Showing that blood was the payment for their sin. That was its purpose, their show. As the Scripture teaches, that didn't take away any of their sin. It was simply to show, at best, the Scripture calls it a covering. But it was to show what Jesus was one day going to do when He would come. That my sin, your sin, would be put on Him and He would take it all in our place, giving His blood for the payment for our sin. My sin was imputed to Him. Now in turn, He imputes back to me His righteousness. And yet... I still fail him. I still come short. But my life now is not bound in that sin. I don't have to serve. I don't have to follow after. I don't have to live like that anymore. I've been given liberty in Christ because of His righteousness that has now been imputed to me. Verse 3 of chapter 6, Paul says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death. Water baptism represents our union with Christ. And he goes on to say there in verse 4, he says, Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. What baptism shows, and that's all it is, it is a show. There's no work of grace in it. It shows what grace was done in us is what's showing. But it, it's an identification with Christ Jesus that just as He died for us, gave His life for us to pay for our sins, we are reckoning our old selves dead with Christ. That no longer, no longer am I going to be identified in the old. No longer is that going to be how I live. No longer is that going to be be who the world's going to know is the old Clint. But rather, as He is raised from the dead, we are raised to walk in newness of life. So now, it is is incumbent upon us as the children of God that we are living for Christ. Reckoning that old self dead and raised to walk in that new man that He has given us. And so this is what Paul's speaking about here. In, In reckoning ourselves dead, in in determining ourselves as dead to sin, we we don't live in it any longer. That's not the governing part of our life. Yes, we're going to fail it. Yes, we're going to sin. But it's not what we live for. We live for Christ. You see? He died. He died for our sin, to wash us in Himself. 
And so we, in that reckoning, we renounce in us the reigning of sin in our life by Christ Jesus our Lord. No longer identified by sin, but by grace in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, all sins He died for were blotted out. He justified us. And when He died, as He says there in verse number 4, we died in Him. We died in Him. So, what does the law have to say to one who is dead? Nothing. The law has no bearing on us now. Because Christ Jesus has died. He died for us. We have died in Him. The penalty is paid. The penalty is paid. Yes, we're lawbreakers. Yes, indeed. We have failed God's law. Absolutely. But Christ Jesus died. And He paid for my transgressions. So, I am to walk in newness of life, in liberty, in Christ. I have given, been given rather in Him a clean slate, a new start. But it's only in Him. He has given me new facts about myself. A new history that declares all I have ever done is obey God. Now we know different. Because we know us. And we can see our failures. We can look back and and see how we failed. And we can look back and see how we've come short. We can look back and see even yesterday our sins and and look forward. Maybe even today already we can begin the number. Well, I shouldn't have done that. And I shouldn't have said that. And I shouldn't have. And my my mind was wrong there. And and it's just every day we realize we fail and we sin. But from God's perspective, when He looks at you, when He looks at me, all He sees is Christ Jesus and His righteousness. And so Paul says, why do we want to live? Bound to sin. When we've been liberated in Christ. We have this new history because of His blood. We've been given, the Scripture says, a new heart. We didn't have it before. In fact, our hearts before salvation are called stony. They're called dead. You hear people all the time, just give your heart to Jesus. Jesus don't want that old cold dead thing. He gives us a new heart. He gives us life. 
where once there was only death. He gives us a softened heart where once it was only rock. He gives us a new heart. He gives us a new nature. He gives us a new worldview. He gives us a new rule of life. He gives us a, a new family, the family of God. He gives us a new commandment to, to obey Him, to follow Him, to love one another, He says. He gives us a new name. He gives us a new goal to be completely conformed to the image of Christ. He gives us a new will not mine, Lord, but thine be done. He gives us even a new song. Revelation chapter 5 and verse number 9 and verse number 10, John's having here this heavenly vision of the things going on around the throne of God and this great crowd that's gathered there around the throne. And he says they sung a new song there. Revelation 5, verse 9 and verse 10. So they sung a new song. Saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For Thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by Thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. That is newness of life that He has given us. All these new things that we didn't have before. And yet we still hear people say, if I believe the way you do, I'd seen all I wanted to. Especially when you're talking about eternal security. You talk about being once saved, we're always saved. We never lose our salvation. That's, that, that very thought has been brought. Well, if I believe the way you believe, I'd just seen all I wanted to. But you don't believe the way I believe. Because that's not the desire of my heart. In fact, I heard, uh, I think it was uh, maybe John MacArthur said the believer's response is, Oh, I sin a lot more than I want to. The three responses to grace. What is your response? The legalist, they conform to the letter of the law rather than the spirit of the law. Thou shalt not. The Scripture tells us the letter of the law only kills. The Spirit of the law reveals Christ Jesus and what He has done for us. It shows us our guilt and it drives us to Christ. That's what Paul says there in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 24. By nature... We are legalist. The legalist is afraid of grace because they're always afraid that grace is not enough. 
But that's the very thing Paul's telling us here in this passage. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Grace is far and away more than enough. The licentious, he sees grace as the license for his sin. It says there in verse 14 and verse 15, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then shall we sin, because we are not under the law, but under grace? Again, he says, God forbid. God forbid. And the one who thinks he can have now license to sin because of grace, the reality is he's still under his old sin nature. He has not experienced grace. The third response is liberty. Liberty. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter number 5, Paul says here in verse number 1. Galatians 5 and verse number 1. He says, Stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of Bondage. Don't be bound up. Don't be bound up by, by law. Don't be bound up by, by tradition. Don't be bound up by, by yourself. You are given liberty in Christ. Given liberty because of His grace. We've been free from sin. And if you have trusted Christ Jesus, your want to is changed. Your want to is changed. Having all your debts paid, you get to do what you want. I want to show you an example of that. Go over to Mark chapter 10. I love this. Absolutely love this example. Mark chapter 10, verse number 46. Mark chapter 10, verse number 46. This is blind Bartimaeus. And his healing in Christ. Notice this, verse 46. They came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the roadside begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, and to say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy 
on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace. But he cried the more, a great deal, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. Bartimaeus believed before he saw. He believed on Jesus before he ever saw Him. Jesus, Thou Son of David, if you need mercy, if you need mercy, there's nobody that can keep you crying out to Jesus. Keep you from it. Cry. Cry out to Him. Verse 49, it says, And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What will thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. Notice that. He gave him liberty when he healed him. He said, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And what was Bartimaeus' way? What was his way? Verse 52 again. And immediately he received his sight and followed. Followed Jesus in the way. That's what liberty brings. Not a desire for sin. Not a desire to hold on to a law that only gives you death. But rather, that liberty from sin brings you to Christ and now you follow Him. He said, go thy way. And where did Bartimaeus go? He followed Jesus. He followed Him. What is your your response to His grace? Grace reigns, He says there in Romans 5, verse 20 and 21. Grace reigns. What is your response to it? Bartimaeus' was, he followed the Lord in the way. What is yours? Let's all stand. Brother Gordon, you bring us a song.